Welcome into Locked On Knicks. Alex Wolf and Gavin Shaw here. And Gavin, RJ Barrett at long last has signed his rookie extension. Breaking the Charlie Ward curse and in the process becoming a Nick, at least on paper for the next four years for up to $120 million. We'll discuss uh, all the implications of this contract, including what it means for the Donovan Mitchell trade. That next on Locked on Knicks. You are Locked on Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. And I think we see Willis coming out. There he comes. Right now. Starts without a five. Ewing for the win. Yes. Up, up left. Now fires it. He's good. And he's fouled. And he's out. Anthony for three. All right, welcome in to Locked On Knicks. Today's episode is brought to you by Bet Online. Bet Online has you covered this season with more props, odds, and lines than ever before. Bet Online, where the game starts. We want to thank you guys for making Locked On Knicks your first listen today and every day, whether you're checking us out on your favorite podcast platform or taking in the sights and sounds on YouTube. We appreciate you guys making us a part of your daily routine. I am Alex Wolf. I'm editor-in-chief of Nick's site, The Strickland, which you find at thestrick.land. He is Gavin Shaw, your favorite play-by-play broadcaster's favorite play-by-play broadcaster, doing some high school football, big matchups over this past weekend. Big matchups coming up, I'm sure. And we are talking R.J. Barrett extension today. Gavin, late breaking news last night uh, per Woj, uh, Adrian Wojnarowski of ESPN. Four years up to, I put a lot of emphasis on up to $120 million for R.J. Barrett, which means that he makes up to $30 million per season on paper. Uh, I'll be intrigued to see. Once the figures leak, how the uh, the per year arrangement works with this deal, if it's anything like the the recently signed Jalen Brunson deal, it's possible maybe they set RJ up with a descending contract rather than ascending contract. We'll see how all that goes. Uh, per our buddy Jonathan Macri, who looked this up, this this deal with the incentives you can have unlikely bonuses be. Uh, up to 15% of a contract's total value, which would mean that RJ is going to have to make at least $26 million annually on this deal. Again, that could be ascending or descending, so he could be making more than that this year in base salary or less. Uh, Ian Begley reports that the incentives are uh, tied to all-star selections, Selections to the three All-NBA teams and NBA All-Defensive teams. So that says to me, you know, it's sort of, there's some prove-it elements to this deal. But on the surface, he's getting, uh, honestly, about what Jalen Brunson and Julius Randle make, which is, you know, I think a, a decent starters contract in the NBA in this current climate. You know, it's it's... 26 27 million probably base salary with incentives that could get him higher which I think is good to put in for a young player 
Um, I don't know, Gavin, where do you want to start as far as like, I think we should probably just start with like, how do we feel about this deal? <laughs> I'm really happy with it. I mean, it's uh, like one, as, as I noted in, in the teaser, breaking the Charlie Ward curse officially. There's some debate if Mitchell Robinson accomplished that earlier in the summer or not. And um, I think uh, our guy, uh, shout out to Nick's Film School, referencing them a lot early in this one. Our guy, Jeremy Cohen, phrased it this way. It's a low hurdle to clear, but it's still it's still cleared and, and the Knicks needed to do it. And I think it's uh, it's a sign of the improved organizational health the last few years. Is this if if the Knicks were were a patient, they went from death's door for the last twenty years to uh, moderately healthy um, in in only three years, which is which is pretty well done. It, it's it's a sign that things have changed pretty dramatically, both in terms of picking RJ and actually seemingly. I mean, you you could, you could debate whether Darius Garland would have been the right pick at that spot, but making a pick worthy of this kind of extension at that spot. And to your point, with the way the salary cap is going to change, assuming the Knicks do keep RJ over the life of this contract, it's just going to look better and better and better. Again, I think by the end of this deal, you're going to have maybe 15 guys in the league making over $50 million a year. I think you're probably going to have something like 40 guys in the league making well over $35 million a year. As it stands right now, RJ is only, again, per our guy Macri, somewhere between the 50th and 52nd highest paid player in the league. By the end of this contract, RJ could very well be an all-star and be somewhere like the 80th highest paid player in the league. And if you get that, you're getting incredible value on RJ Barrett. Again, I didn't want to bet on RJ in the sense of, oh, we got to give him five for 180 because he's he's our lone homegrown star. And if he holds the gun to our head, I guess we just got to do that because there's no way we can lose him. And like, we don't want to be forced into trading him from a position of weakness. And and look, if RJ had and his agents and his representation had gone that direction, it would have put Leon Rose and company in a really tight bind. But RJ showed like, Hey, I get what I've done so far. I'm realistic about who I've been in the league, how much I still need to improve. And, and this was a fair deal for both sides. And honestly, Alex, in these situations, you typically don't get a fair deal for both sides because the player, especially when they're the number three pick on a team that hasn't resigned a first round pick in right around 30 years, the player has all the leverage, especially considering the Donovan Mitchell implications to all of this. So I, I, I take it as a really good sign about RJ just being committed to this team going forward. And on Leon Rose's side and Brock Aller's side, it's a fantastic bit of negotiating. And you get a guy at a totally fair price. Even if he stays on his current trajectory, if he well outseeds his current trajectory, you're talking about one of the better contracts in the NBA in a couple of years. Yeah, I think, you know, I, I think Jalen Brown is a good sort of measuring stick for this. Like Brown at this point looks very underpaid, you know, based off the production that he's been able to put together. But at the time of his extension was about the player that RJ is now, you know, in terms of where, what he's accomplished in his career so far. I mean, he actually had a pretty significantly steeper learning curve in the NBA, at least to my eye. I mean, I think that it took Brown, you know, more time, like as far as his rookie and sophomore year to really kind of find his legs and then start to put things together his third year in the league. RJ sort of similar, you know, you could argue, the efficiency was down this year in some ways, but without context, I think that's useless. Like we talk about all the time, the context of the end of RJ season, even if the the efficiency wasn't there, was that he was taking on a much larger role in the offense and learning how to do that. And that's not something that you could do at 21 years old necessarily. And and 
you know, not experience a, a knock on efficiency and stuff like that. So I, you know, I like it too. I, I think this is a, it's not necessarily like making RJ take a bet on yourself contract, quote unquote, like he's still making a very significant sum of money. Um, but it's also not grossly overpaying just for the sake of it. You know, if you would extend this out to what this deal would have looked like roughly with his, uh, his max number, it would have been, you know, let's just assume that it's still averaged out to a maximum of 30 million a season. That would have been a contract that was a maximum of five years, $150 million. His actual max extension was five years, 185. So like that's, that's not insignificant. That's leaving 7 million per season on the table. Um, you know, over the course of the deal, he took the year off, which actually probably benefits RJ more than it does the Knicks to have it be a four year deal instead of a five year deal. It lets him potentially enter, uh, you know, free agency sooner, potentially, you know, or just potentially get a bigger extension sooner. If in four years time, we're talking about like, two-time all-star RJ Barrett or whatever, then maybe he wants more of that deal that you were talking about, like a 35 million plus a year deal. And, you know, maybe that also will be a pretty normal contract at that time. Once this new TV deal kicks in uh, that the NBA is going to get from all these various sources, ESPN, Turner, probably some streaming services. Like there's going to be a lot of money to play around with in the NBA in a few years time. Thanks to this new TV deal. So we'll see how it all goes. I, all in all, I mean, I guess maybe we can just finish this initial part of it by saying, how would you grade it? I would probably grade it like, I don't know, an A minus. You know, I think that there's always room to get better as far as a contract is concerned. But looking at it from the perspective of both the player and the team, I think this was about as good of a deal as they possibly could have come up with. Yeah, I'm I'm generally in agreement with you. I think if you, if you want to search for a downside beyond the uh, Mitchell implications, which we will get into in just a sec, um, you just referenced Jalen Brown, a, a, a factor here that, that was similar to an issue the Celtics are now looking at with Jalen Brown is you can only extend a player 120% of the, of the salary of the final year of their contract. So if RJ like really explodes and makes like a couple of all-star teams, Cup of all NBA teams, uh, then then you're like kind of staring down the barrel of like, oh man, like we can't necessarily pay him. At least I, I think I think that only applies in advance, unless I'm I'm, I'm way off on that. Yeah, we we can't like yeah. yeah we can't can. safely lock him in in advance. And mm-hmm. the Celtics are kind of dealing with that with Jalen Brown now, where where they're I mean you look at him being thrown into the Kevin Durant conversation. I think a big variable in that is the Celtics aren't particularly confident they can keep him because they can't say, hey, we'll give you that fifty million dollars a year right now. And for RJ, when multi-time all-stars who are around age 25 are going to be going for $50 million a year, and the Knicks can look at that and say, all right, for now, all we can we can offer you somewhere close to 40, a little bit under 40. Um, that is it's, it's actually going to be more like 35, 36 million, assuming like that takes into account the incentives in this contract. Uh, that will be, I think, an interesting variable, but that is a problem for four years down the line. Who, who knows where anyone's going to be four years down the line. So we'll continue to talk about that. We will continue to discuss or, or initiate our discussion on how the Donovan Mitchell negotiations most likely impacted this conversation. But first, if you want to bet on something a little bit more stakes or maybe even higher stakes, there's only one place to go. It's betonline.net. They are the fastest and easiest way to check in on all your betting needs you can find. 
all your favorite sports and events for your number one online source for odds, lines, and games. You can find reviews and news of every single league, including Major League Baseball, NFL, NBA, NHL, combat sports, esports, and even golf. But online continues to be the top online resource for all your sports wagering information. From live in-game betting scores and podcasts, they have you covered. They even have you covered with updated NBA Rookie of the Year odds with Chet Holmgren, unfortunately off the board following that foot injury. Uh, Trevor Keels, a, a real long shot. I, I honestly, Alex, unfortunately, I don't even see him mentioned on the oh gee he is at he is actually off the board is, is how his odds are described um Paolo Vicero is the favorite at three to two Keegan Murray at five to one Jaden Ivey 11 to two uh if I'm scrolling down that list for a long shot uh I'm gonna go Jaden Hardy 40 to one that, that's that's an interesting one to me but again the place to go is bet online head there today for your on your mobile device to learn more about the action happening today Bet online, it's where the game starts. And with that, we are back on Locked On Knicks. RJ Barrett is a Nick. Alex, I'm thrilled we get to talk about him for four more years. That is, unless he still gets traded, which uh, one variable in that mix is the poison pill aspect of this contract that ESPN's Bobby Marks did a fantastic job breaking down. Essentially, um, and I, uh, you're more of a cap guy than I am, so feel free to correct my explanation on this. But as simply as you can put it, um, and this is how it was phrased in the Knicks Film School newsletter, Barrett's outgoing salary for the Knicks counts as just $10.9 million, while the incoming salary for the team he's traded to would be $26.2 million. So basically, um, the Knicks are sending out RJ's salary this year, but a team, when they're taking into account what's coming into their cap, they have to look at it as the average sum of the four years of his contract for one season, which makes trades extremely difficult because those numbers don't line up. And in turn, you got to start throwing in extra guys on one end, but on the other end, you have to be able to balance it out. It's like you're trying to balance a seesaw, but one side has four bricks tied down to it, which makes things very complicated if RJ Barrett were to still be included in a Donovan Mitchell trade. And Alex, I don't know how deep you want to get into that just yet, but the timing of this does seem interesting. Uh, this is something our guy Macri was speculating on that I happen to agree with uh, to a large extent, that it's become pretty clear as talk has emerged in the last week or two that after initially being reported that, well, on the Knicks end, R.J. Barrett's off the table and on the Jazz end, well, we don't really have interest in R.J. Barrett anyway, so that doesn't really matter to us. It seems like R.J. may have been a bigger part of these trade discussions than initially thought, unless that's just posturing from both sides. But from the Knicks' perspective, it does make a lot of sense. If their greater priority is saving some gunpowder for a future trade, getting Donovan Mitchell and ensuring that they had the stuff to get another star down the road, they might have wanted to include R.J. Barrett as a means of keeping one extra or two extra unprotected first-round picks. Um, Now with Barrett off the table, It'll be interesting to see what those trades ultimately look like. The way Adrian Wojnarowski phrased it is that the teams will basically have to start from scratch, given that the most recent iterations of these discussions did include R.J. Barrett. Yeah, I I just, I don't know how much I buy the whole, the whole R.J. was going to be a part of the deal sort of thing. I think that the Knicks definitely floated some trades out there, too. Utah uh, saying, hey, RJ could be part of this deal. Uh, but they probably said, if RJ is part of this deal, you don't get Grimes, you don't get Toppy, you don't get quickly, and you're getting significantly less picks. Like I've seen 
a deal thrown out there that was like, I think this maybe was even in Macri's uh, thing that was like uh, someone had heard like Fournier, um, RJ, two unprotected firsts and like two or three of the protected firsts. And so if that was the case and that was sort of like their final offer built around RJ where they said, take it or leave it. But otherwise, we're going to extend this kid and get this over with. Like, we're tired of dragging this out. We want to give him his money, whatever. Then, you know, that to me, that says, I, I don't know that that would have ever been an offer that Utah would have bid on anyway. Because I, it, there's been reporting out there since, like, early last month. Or I guess, yeah, we could still say early last month. It's not September yet. Like, since early to mid-July when these rumors first started coming up. Ian Begley and others had it as like, yeah, the Jazz aren't really interested in RJ. Like they're interested in like Grimes and potentially Toppin, um, you know, guys like that. But RJ not so much because they didn't want to. Like Ainge didn't want to do this. He didn't want to give RJ the new contract. Um, he didn't want to be in charge of that right away because he's trying to build out this like tank squad and then hopefully get somebody in the draft next year and then be able to start slinging you know rookie contracts around and have cap space to absorb a star or something if he wants to trade for somebody or whatever the case may be like he wants the name of the game for him is flexibility going forward and you know as much as i love the dollar figure of rj's contract we just said i think he's fairly paid like the knicks are just in a different situation than the jazz are right now in terms of where they are like in the rebuild the knicks are in the starting to pay their draft picks have seen these guys be successful together before, you know, even if it was somewhat fleeting in 2021, even last year, they were still successful in some ways. Like we talk all the time, they were better than some of like the West playing teams, for example, uh, you know, by a handful of games, it wasn't just like, you know, they finished tied with the 10th seed in the West and just didn't make it in the East. Like they, I think we're better than the, bottom two or three teams in the West that made the play in tournament. So, you know, there's, there's something to be said for the fact that this team, despite all the turmoil of last year has kind of gelled together and shown that they can win some basketball games. The the jazz are hitting, you know, a totally different era for them where they're going to be essentially running open tryouts for the next couple of years, like the, like the thunder and seeing what they have and then deciding what to build from there. So, I, I think that's why they didn't want to go with an RJ Barrett. Although I guess going with an RJ would have been kind of similar to what like the Thunder did in terms of getting Shea Gilders Alexander and eventually paying him. Although I think that he had an additional year of rookie scale contract still on there where they eventually got to they got to see him in their own uniform and then make that decision as far yeah, as he, what they were he was do. traded after his first year. Well, RJ would be right. two years later. Yeah. Right. So, yeah. So the, it, the decision was less looming. Yeah. So he was more like in the Grimes position right now, yeah. even if he was better than Grimes his first year. So I, I think that Ainge is kind of trying to like directly emulate what the Thunder have done, which doesn't mean paying a guy right away. At any rate, at risk of rambling too much more, like, yeah, I think this takes some trade packages off the table. I think ultimately later on maybe we'll figure this out maybe we won't you know maybe we'll hear it from somebody or not i i think that if you could give ainge truth serum and say were you ever going to take an rj barrett package anyway he would probably he would probably just be like no (laughs) you know i i i don't think he was ever going to be the guy so 
I don't know. I guess that was, I was telling you before we started recording, that was like one of my only um, annoyances with how Walsh reported it initially was that he couldn't even get one, you know, tweet out without being, uh, you know, 200 something character tweet without being like, and this, like, he made it sound like it like killed the Mitchell negotiations. So like putting a damper on RJ getting his extension by being like, but by the way, this like, destroys the Mitchell negotiations. Now they're going to have to like completely restart. I don't think they have to restart at all. I don't think it really affected them at all to begin with. So I, I think that ultimately they're probably right back where they were, which is essentially Leon just saying, look, like you've got eight standing offers on the table here that we've given you with various permutations. We're going to take four of them off the table now because four of them involved RJ Barrett and we want to extend him. And Ainge was probably like, yeah, whatever. I don't care about that. What, but how many more picks are you going to give me on this crimes package? You know, that's how I think it probably is, is more how it went. But I guess maybe we'll see over time. But once the deal gets done or if the deal gets done, what the reporting says about how the negotiations went, there's always that like tell all like uh, biopic of a, of an article that like tells you about how, uh, you know, the whole deal went down from the beginning to the end that usually yeah. like, I don't know, Tim McMahon or whoever writes like so, someone will have that whole article at some point and we'll get to learn all this. But it, I feel like the RJ thing won't be a particularly huge footnote ultimately in the, the negotiation of the deal. Yeah, I think I think there's a middle ground here. Let, let, let's take one more quick break and then I want to get into that. And then maybe like both where we're left on, on the Knicks heading into next season now that RJ is seemingly a sure thing to be on the team and, and also like what we think the future of the Mitchell negotiations are that next on locked on Knicks. All right, guys, we are back. Um, I just want to, I want to, I want to state this like for sure, because I, I, I think I was a little more ambiguous before it was reported as, as a hard thing from, from Woj that, um, that Leon Rose did set a hard deadline on including Barrett in the deal. And to your point, Alex, Danny, it's might've heard that and like basically laughed and been like, all right, I don't, I don't really care. I, I don't, I don't want the dude anyways. Um, but then there was some, some interesting reporting from Begley that even, even in a scenario where, and I think this was, I like, you can kind of connect all the dots here and it all makes sense with, with Macri saying that the Knicks final offer to Utah was essentially, um, at least as far as an RJ deal goes, it was RJ Barrett, Evan Fournier, two unprotected first round picks from New York and three of the protected first from other teams. Um, and then essentially the hold up on Utah's end was, all right, we will do that, but you got to give us one of Grimes, IQ, or OB, or you got to throw in one more unprotected pick. So where I'm at on this is I, I think these teams were in two different places on RJ Barrett's value. I think some of that was posturing by Danny Ainge, and I think he would have wanted RJ Barrett in the right deal. But to him, that deal meant still getting those three picks because that's his number one priority in this and saying, okay, I'll take a pick off the table. But I still want one of those young stars. Probably Grimes is the number one guy of anyone in that group. And the Knicks, I, I think we both agree rightfully. I don't know about you. If that was if that was the deal, if it was RJ Fournier, two firsts and three of the protected firsts, I would have been okay with that. Um, I, I know in general you've been a little bit more reticent than I've been to like give up RJ in this type of a trade. For me, I think that would have been a pretty good deal for both sides. And, and I'm exactly with Leon Rose, where if it was an inch more than that, I'm, I'm walking away. And basically, neither side blinked. Rose signed RJ to the contract, and Ainge didn't cave at the last second and be like, all right, fine, 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 give me RJ. So I think in that sense, you're you're right that he clearly does not see RJ 
as the centerpiece of a franchise going forward. And this contract suggests that the Knicks aren't banking on that either. They're banking on him being a piece. This is a contract you give to someone that you want to be one of the three best players on your team when you're winning 50 plus games a season. And I think we've, we've more than seen from RJ. I mean, to your point, Jalen Brown was averaging 13 points per game his third season. We've seen that RJ has that potential. There's still a lot that has to happen there. Um, I think he has to prove to be a, a 37% three-point shooter, including some off-the-dribble threes year in and year out for this to work. He has to continue to get more efficient around the rim. He's, what, 21, 22 years old? I, I still think that is ultimately going to happen from our, for RJ. But Alex, I'll you take this any direction you want to. Um, wh- what are the future implications for the Knicks with this deal? What are the future implications for the Mitchell trade with this deal? Yeah, so I'll like so I'll first say the the dollar amount they basically gave him the Brunson deal, right? Like yeah. and for a wing, I think that's even better value. Like wings are typically the guys that are going to get those down the line like fifty million dollar a year contracts, you know. Especially like, ones that aren't defensive liabilities. Which RJ might have been a little bit last year, but I think we both agree going forward in his career mm-hmm. is is likely to be a plus on the defensive end. Especially if he was on a team where he didn't have to like be the engine you know like we've seen that bear out like in his second year where he was i wouldn't i don't know if i'll necessarily call him a defensive stopper but like he was certainly not yeah certainly not a sieve you know like he was he was good um so you know i i think that that's sort of the deal that they have him on where it's like even if he's just who he is i think it's a fair deal uh going forward but if he's more then obviously he gets paid more with those unlikely incentives and then you know, can potentially earn himself a really big deal down the line and potentially be a value deal for like, I don't know, two years of this contract or three, if he really takes like a huge leap this coming year and then goes into his, you know, fifth season. Actually, really, I mean, it's this year is still kind of gravy because it's four years after this season. So it's like if he plays well this season and then the extension kicks in, like it might be a value contract from day one if he really takes another leap this year and becomes like a 25-point-per-game guy or something. Um, so there's, it, yeah, as far as that's all concerned, I, I think it's a great deal. I think as far as the Mitchell trade goes, like, I don't know, again, I I think I'm with you, like, that essentially it came down to they were valuing him differently. I think that the Knicks looked at RJ and said, I, like, what are you looking at here, Ainge? Like, this is a, a guy who's going to be 22 this year, you know, going into his fourth year that just scored 20 points per game in his third season. Like, that's not a small feat. You know, that's a, that's tough for a wing, you know, in the NBA to do that and and to get himself to the point where he can be that good of a scorer. Also, like, to do it while obviously dealing with the, the sort of turmoil that came with being on the Knicks this year um, of the sort of... I don't know if I would call it like an identity crisis that they suffered like partway through the year, especially like offensively where it just kind of never seemed like you knew what their game plan was any given day and all this other stuff. Uh, I, I think he did great. You know, I, I think that he really proved himself as a, a true building block player that at worst will be like, I don't know, let's say uh, we've, we've made this analogy before, like when we had Benji on and he wrote a great piece about it, like, at worst, is he like Andrew Wiggins at this point, you know, on a really, really good team, maybe the third or fourth best player that could, you know, make some plays down the stretch and potentially win you a championship. At best, he's 
I still say he could still reach the levels of like a Jimmy Butler or something if he reaches his full potential. Jimmy Butler wasn't even close to being Jimmy Butler by his third, the end of his third season, you know, like yeah, you at talk the about same that. age, he was still in college. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Like at the same age, he was entering his fourth year in college and then would go on to become a late, you know, first round draft pick and average two points a game for his first year in the, in the NBA. So like, you know, there's still so much growing room for RJ to get better um, that I, I feel pretty good about his ability to do it. Um, and, and so from from the perspective of the Jazz, it, it seems kind of silly to me that they would view him and Grimes essentially as the same value, which is what the general gist of this whole thing I'm getting is the Knicks were saying, like, if we're including RJ, we're taking a lot else off the table because he's more valuable. And the Jazz were saying, well, no, we look at him as just another dude. You know, like he's just he's on the same level as quickly topping Grimes. McBride, even maybe, you know what I mean? Like, maybe they're, they're really getting crazy with the negotiations, but like, I think that's silly. I think the Knicks made the right call in, in leaving this ultimatum out there of like, all right, come on, like, we gotta, let's like S or get off the pot here, you know, like, it, we gotta make this, this deal some point or another with, with our young, you know, our young cornerstone. We consider him a cornerstone, even if you don't. Uh, so we wanna treat him that way. So, like, let's get this figured out. Here's your deadline day. It's August 30 or, you know, Monday, uh, August 29th, you know, either do it or don't. They didn't, they signed the extension. I think that's what it is, but, um, Gavin, I guess we could close. I, I, you know, I'm glad that the discussion went the way it did with, with mostly in terms of like, is this good value on, in terms of RJ? Cause I don't think, I think that this should be a, a celebration more so than looking at this, like, how does this affect the trade? I'm really happy about this whole thing. Like, I, like this was, I was looking forward to this all summer. Um, you know, and I'm I'm very happy for RJ because he seems like a really good, hardworking individual. Like, I've loved like the amount that he's been able to turn into like a leader on the Knicks, despite being so young. Being sort of like the, the, I don't know. I I guess like the leader of the younger contingent of the roster, but it seems like even older players kind of gravitate towards him. Um, you know, as far despite the fact that even being like the leader of the young guys, he was still. Younger than most of them, you know, because he came into the league so young. Um, but I, we do have to, you know, take assessment of the Mitchell trade now. I I don't think that my general thought of what the ultimate deal is going to be has moved at all. But has this kind of swayed you at all on on where you think these negotiations go? And do you think maybe now that the Knicks have finally truly put the the Jazz's feet to the fire a little bit and done something that takes something off the table for them. Do you think that this maybe does finally serve as like the catalyst that gets this Mitchell trade rolling and done? Um, I think it's, it's interesting in that it, it kind of, I mean, to your point, it's, it's evidence that Leon Rose isn't going to bend over backwards. And I guess on ages end, like maybe the jazz consider them. So when it was like, Oh, we, we, we showed them. We don't, we don't, we don't value their pitiful young stars. If you, uh, if you read uh jazz Twitter, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't recommend it for mental health reasons, but um, yeah, I, I still think this deal gets done probably by the start of training camp. Um, you, you threw in our notes, a, a quote from uh, or a tweet from Mark Berman, where he talked to a league source that essentially said to him, there's no place for Donovan Mitchell to go at this time. The Knicks can still get him. And, and that's what this ultimately comes down to for me. I mean, Danny Ainge has, has basically 
drag this out. It, it's almost two months at this point, which sounds crazy to say. I mean, thank thank you. Thank you, Danny, for the offseason content. I guess we can say that. Um, but he's dragged this out trying to create a, a buzz of, of faux, uh, faux contenders to get Donovan Mitchell. And the unfortunate reality for him is there is no market for Donovan Mitchell right now, at least relative to what the Knicks be offering in this kind of negotiation, right? And the Knicks, of course, will have to have the best offer on the table to get him, but they don't have to have the best offer by four times or three times or even two times. They need to go an inch further than any other team because the Jazz are in a position where they are not going to keep Donovan Mitchell at this point. And if they do, it'll be self-destructive and the Knicks can sort of move on with their lives and say, hey, we, we have this group of young players that we really like. They might not have a championship ceiling, but the unfortunate reality is even if the Knicks go all in for Donovan Mitchell, they still don't have that championship ceiling. So they're sort of stuck in the same place. And I, I, the reason I think this gets done is like the clear middle ground here has always been three unprotected first round picks, right? Plus one of the young players. The Jazz want four and, and two players probably in their, in their dream, like Rudy Gobert-esque scenario. That's not going to happen. The Knicks dream of this scenario is that they get off with one of those three guys and two picks. And I honestly, I don't think that's realistic either. I think it's going to be, it's going to be three picks unprotected. Maybe one of them comes from the Lakers. If the Knicks are able to reroute guys like Evan Fournier or Julius Randle, and, and maybe one other young piece like a Cam Reddish to get the Lakers involved and get that extra pick on the table. But it, you, they're going to find that middle ground and it's going to happen within the next month because Utah, I, I frankly think they don't really have another choice. Yeah, I, I think so too. I think it's just going to end up, with Grimes in the deal, I I feel pretty confident. I mean, it, this is sort of taken away from the buzz of the last few days that the Lakers have been brought up a lot in the last few days as a potential third team uh, to enter this deal. And I, I still firmly think that that's going to happen. I can't wait to pretend like I had some sort of inside information that it wasn't just a lucky dart throw. If that does happen, since I've been banging that drum, like ever since this, first came out like why don't the Lakers get involved they kind of need some talent um so we'll see how it all goes I I think if I was still gonna say my prediction it's not any different than it was yesterday you know I think I think that my prediction would probably be uh you know Grimes whatever salary you can make work Randall goes to LA Westbrook and some extra picks goes to the Jazz maybe they send one other player to LA as well although they've already done a little business together with the Beverly deal. Um, so we'll see how it all goes. I, I think that ultimately uh, it, it's going to end up being the same deal that it was going to be before the RJ extension. I think that this was just sort of in both teams' way, their own way of maybe thinking that they're doing a power play here where Ainge thinks, as you said, you know, and as <laughs> Jazz Twitter and, whatever jazz writers, whatever else I'll say, like this was <laughs> maybe, just maybe being, one, one jazz broadcaster who we know. Well, yeah, possibly, possibly a jazz broadcaster that we know, well, you know, being like, we don't even like RJ. He's pathetic and we don't even want him. You know, he's not even valuable. Give us more picks, you know, whatever. Whereas the Knicks are saying like, everything has an expiration date here. So, you know, we're going to get this deal done that we wanted to get this done like before September or whatever. You know, so they they stuck to their guns and said, we're going to extend him. And at that particular point, he basically goes off the table because of all the CBA rules. So, you know, do it or don't. And then they said, no, we're not going to do it. So the Knicks said, OK, you know, and in this game of chicken, they didn't, 
you know, pull away. They they kept cruising towards a head-on collision with Danny Ainge in an eventual trade that'll you know, projectile some guys one way or the other. So we'll see how it all goes. It'll be intriguing to track. Gavin, unless you have anything to add, I think we could probably wrap this pot up and just say, I'll just say one more time, super happy for RJ Barrett. I'm super happy to get to root for him for longer because, again, he's he's a very root forable guy uh, in the, in terms of the fact that he seems to just work his butt off. He doesn't seem to think, despite having the pedigree that he had coming into the NBA, being like the number one high school player for so long and everything else, he doesn't seem to have any entitlement about him, which I've always liked. And I'm I'm happy to have him on the team, hopefully for at least another five years, if not the rest of his career. I, th- I think he'll be a really fun player to root for for a long time. Yeah, we look, we talked about this when we had uh, Doug Norrie of, of Locked on Nets on. Your culture is, is only as good as your team is. So it's fun and it's cute when you're building up. If the Knicks, if we're three years into RJ's deal and, and he's the Knicks' best player and they're winning 40 games a year with him, then, then there's going to be discussions to be had. But the great thing about this contract is it doesn't really put the onus on RJ to be much more than he is right now. So that, that's why I consider this a win for the Knicks and a win for RJ Barrett only in the sense that I think expectations are set correctly with the money number that he got. He can develop. He can he can become who he is. He doesn't have to be the savior of New York. He, he can just be RJ Barrett, and, and that's good enough because as Knicks fans, we all love him, and I'm I'm like you. I'm, I'm happy he's on the team, and I, I think he's he's going to be a tentpole for whatever the next iteration of of a really good Knicks team looks like, and that is extraordinarily exciting. So on that happy note, we will wrap up this edition of the Locked On Knicks podcast. Tune in the rest of the week. We'll have some special guests. I'm sure we'll have some more thoughts on RJ Barrett and uh, and the Donovan Mitchell trade. Um, but until next time, he's Alex. I'm Gavin. Be good. <laughs> 